Hi, I'm Cornell. I'm Glenroy. And I'm Kareem. And welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast where we hear whipping heel struts and Jamaican queens talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottoms up. <laughs> I'm into it. So I'm here alone on my part. Come here, look on documents and I'm me one laggy and I feel some type of way. <laughs> I think I have it memorized finally. <laughs> now I was using the group chat, so. <laughs> so how is everybody? How's everybody? What's going What's going What's a keep? Nothing exciting from my end, to be quite honest. It was a regular week at work and school. I think the only thing is that I had like a, there was a point in the week where I got a little bit down. At some point, I reminded myself that I'm a baby bitch and it worked. So I'm, I'm okay again. The thing, I mean, nothing special to report outside of, but do a Sigma run today. I'm tired. Come the unfit. But yeah, that is preparation for carnival. So yes to that but how did you love birds since i'm the single bitch how did you love birds spend ha- um, valentine's day wait hold on before we even get there i'm like you said you were you at the the run for work because i think i saw like a i don't know was it like a tent or something so yeah it was so it's so it was for work yeah it was a part of our visibility stuff yeah, I was just going to say that, like, I think that's super dope that we're at a place where LGBTQ organizations are able to participate publicly in something that is, I mean, for like, yeah, it's like very kind of like just people doing things and we're showing up. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, we've been doing it for a couple of years now. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. So, um, Kareem, our resident married guru person, um, what did you do for the... The lover's holiday. Not Jesus, please. Oh, oh, oh you're both tough one, Kareem. As if you're not in our relationship. Girl! Girl! <laughs> but don't live for all Glenn Grant. Just, <laughs> just quick with it. You're not, no, you're not slide under the radar. No, my love. When we go out and Cardi, I can't talk. I mean, Valentine's Day is usually like a big thing for my husband and I. I don't know why or when it did not, but I mean, we always say, oh, we're not going to get each other's gifts and feed into all of that. Like, well, like we get each other's gifts regardless. But then he still got me um, a gift. He got me a few gifts, actually. He got me something for like all my jewelry and accessories, one of those cute things that you hang on the door and it has light in it with a mirror, blah, blah, blah. And then this little Byzantine man, buy me one Valentine's Day card. It's cute, yes, whatever, fine. And then put on pack a bubblegum in the card. <laughs> and it's and I'm not to know what that means. Like, what I try to say. So, <laughs> him not tell me I know what it means. So, maybe the, the listeners can help me unpack this and um navigate this um I don't know the nuances of that of that gift. But I mean, apart from what I'm telling you before we start record, I'm tired. I get old. You know, I'm so thirty. My birthday at Thursday, I'm mean, soon 30. I'm mean, 28, but I'm mean, soon 30. I'm realizing that this club thing is not for me anymore. I'm going to go out last night, people. I'm never coming to four o'clock this morning, right now, me are dead. So if you're not me for the rest of the podcast, um, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. The internet is working. I might have dozed off. That's that. For now. Wow. <laughs> what about you and your Valentine? So we went well. We weren't um, sure at the beginning 
whether or not we wanted to do something, but we figured since it's the first Valentine's together, we would make an effort. This is also the first time that I've been in a relationship on Valentine's Day, so it's also a very strange kind of space to be in. But we had dinner, we had drinks, we went out, we went out to the club, and it was lovely and beautiful, so that happened. <laughs> Aww. You lovebirds, you know, still in your honeymoon phase and a seasoned couple, you know, keeping it hot and fresh. We like Ono. Me like Ono. <laughs> I will pass along the message. <laughs> okay. So today, listeners, unless you wanted to talk about your day in general, Cornell, or your week oh, in general. Um, what else happened? I mean, nothing else. In- Ooh, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago that there was a possibility of research opportunity and that came through, which is great. Um, so I'm going to be working on uh, projects, uh, an upcoming project around like HIV prevention among like black gay men, which should be pretty dope. So yeah, I mean, I think that's basically the only main highlight and I'll be going to San Diego um, this week. Um, so I'll have some updates on that next week. So in terms of, I don't know what the core focus will be, if it's like geographically specific, but Prepster in London does a lot of work around, well, they focus on PrEP, yeah, but they do a lot of work around like promoting it within communities of color. So mm-hmm. well, um, you, maybe you can look so, at that. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the, I guess, I mean, we're, we're getting, I mean, I don't want to belabor the point too much, but they've noticed that uh, PrEP uptake is pretty low among black men, black gay men in the, the city uh, or in Canada, generally speaking, I suppose. So they're trying to find ways to get people involved and maybe trying to understand um, why that is the case because the rates are higher amongst, let's say, white gay men. Part of that has to do with cost. The bigger issue is around like, black people's relationship to the healthcare system. So those are some of the things that we're trying to to tackle. I also found out a few months ago that apparently black people are more susceptible to kidney disease and prep has like a minor effect on kidney. So there might be some suspicion there, but it's it's a fascinating area to be in. So well you know if the, the, the side effect the kidney side effects is minor. So we know that perhaps I mean I, I'm talking about this because we recently did a campaign promoting prep for work. So prep is basically ARVs, which do have an impact on kidney functioning, which is why kidney test is also a part of how you deliver it. There was a very similar context among um, communities of color in London. And so for said what they recognize is that a lot of black men did not see themselves in the promotion. And so marketing also was a big part of it. So yes, black communities do have distrust of healthcare. In some contexts, you have poor health-seeking behaviors um, and healthcare can be quite inaccessible. Um, in states where there is like free healthcare or you know public um, healthcare made accessible and not costly, so like in in UK where there's any that's that's a possibility. But anyways, point is marketing was a big issue as well. Check them out if you're um, to kind of see maybe what some of their work may or may not have come out. I don't know how much they actually put out in terms of the background stuff, but I know they made a, an effort to focus on communities of color, not because of that reality. Right, right. And I mean, just really quickly, um, so I didn't mean to be dismissive in terms of the, the kidney thing. Just the way that it was explained to me was the drug will take or will have a particular, will have an effect on your kidneys, yes, but the way it was explained to me was that like typically it's like quite 
minor. And so I think on the other end, uh, potential patients might be, I mean, granted, there, there will be cases, obviously, where the effects are a bit more serious, but typically the, the damage is relatively minor in terms of like effects to like long-term health, and that can be corrected in, in most cases. That may or may not be, be useful to, to listeners or someone, people who are interested in taking PrEP, but I feel like we've gone on quite a bit of a tangent. I so. just said they're reading about that game. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, ma'am. <laughs> okay, so listeners, today we're talking about tops, bottoms, and everything in between. All you versatile people like myself. Yeah. So um, particularly for me, I've always been interested in kind of analyzing how we organize around those labels within the community. So that will be the focus of our discussion today, kind of why these labels exist. Are they useful beyond bedroom activity? And what are some of the experiences that come up as a result of how we organize around them? So yeah. Tops and bottoms, babies. Tops and bottoms. That's what we'll be talking about. I don't know what the conversation is like in Jamaica right now amongst, you know, the LGBTQ community, but the language has developed rather extensively here. So now we have, there's what, tops, bottoms, verse, verse, bottom, verse, top. And apparently now oral is a new category that I don't quite, I don't entirely understand. What's the, what's the category, the last one? Oral. It's like its own separate oh, oral? category. I don't, yeah. It's like oral top, or is that like a part of yeah, that? Yeah, I've, I've, like, I've heard of that one too, but I don't really get it. I mean, I get it, but I don't, in the sense that I guess it's coming from the assumption that tops don't really do oral sex, like they don't put their mouth on the penis. So people sometimes like to specify that they're an oral top. Um, oh. It's a thing, yeah. At least that's how I understand it. Fascinating. Right. Oh, that, that mean I've been seeing it um, from the other day in an oral top. I never got it because I was like, okay. But it's just so interesting. So we, so in Jamaica, we do have the, the, the big five, I call them top, bottom, verse, verse, top, verse, bottom. But um, so, although I've heard of side ones. But not just side what? <laughs> oh, side. Somebody said they were a side. Call what that was. I don't know if they, just, they don't do anything kind of, they kind of need to jerk off the side. I don't know. But for me, you have these roles, we call them, that make sense in kind of understanding sexual com- compatibility. Because typically on the yellow pages, you're, you're, you're looking for something very specific. You, you kind of want to know if the person you're talking to is somebody you're going to get that thing from. And I guess broadly, if you're looking in a relationship, you want to know that the person that you might be, you end up shackled with is going to provide for all your needs. But then I'm wondering, have you guys found that people organize outside of the bedroom around those identities? Oh, so I mean, I guess we'll get into this later, but I also wanted to flag too, in terms of like the vocabulary, there are even um, different categories within something like bottoms as well. So like this idea of the power bottom as being different from like other types of bottoms might be something we could get into later on. In terms of organizing outside of bedroom things, I think it has morphed into, into a, a kind of system where the sexual positions is about, becomes about like understanding of gender identity and gender expression. It becomes about how we understand power dynamics within relationships. And maybe generally about like how one is positioned in terms of the community around desirability. So a friend of mine have an ongoing argument where he is like, well, you know, the city is filled with bottoms basically. And so it's hard, or I mean, depending on where you fall along the spectrum, it's a bit hard to, to date 
I guess. And he keeps talking about this idea. Well, he keeps suggesting this idea of like, you know, thirsty bottoms. And I'm like, oh, it must be so hard for you to be in a position where you're just being offered sex every single day. Like, poor you. But I would just love to kind of flag what Cornell said. I hear that everywhere I go, oh, there's so many, there are all these bottoms and they're not enough tops. And then there's almost this idea that if you bottom at all, then it kind of taints you as somebody who may also top. Um, and so when people say like the city's full of bottoms or they're not enough tops, people are saying they're not enough people who exclusively top because we've created this hierarchy, I guess, where tops are legit at the top of the hierarchy. And the, the, the prize position is someone who exclusively tops and don't let any other man go behind him and then kind of something there. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is the most interesting thing, especially here where the gender prescriptions within the community are even, are even more strict. So not, not only does the top have to not take dick, period, you also can't look a certain way because then hotness mm-hmm. comes into question. But then you can jump in, Kareem. Before I respond to that, I just want to, because I was doing like a quick research, and according to Urban Dictionary, a side is a gay man who does not partake in anal penetrative sex. So a gay man who enjoys all aspects of intercourse with the exception of anal penetration, whether they're giving it or receiving it. So now you know, kids. But yeah, I think a lot of this discussion as it relates to like how these roles play outside of the bedroom, for me kind of goes back to several things, like how we, I don't know, for lack of a better word, demonized bottoming, right? It's effeminate, it's weak, it's submissive. And I think also how we bought into the kind of like the standards of what relationships should look like so and this is coming like from here in like advocacy work here in the united states when they talk about marriage equality and how people try to differentiate the fact that it's not that they want a heteronormative sense of marriage or whatever they just want to be able to have the right to marry and i think behind the logic behind that is that they're not trying to mimic this like male and female dynamic that has risen to like to become the norm in society and somehow we've allowed that to dictate how we organize our own relationships like for example and i could call myself out like when i was dating i was definitely one of those people who like bought into this idea of a top should look like this and a and a bottom should behave like this so when i realized that i was more effeminate automatically i thought of myself as a bottom right and then with that, I was ex- I had certain expectations of top. So if I was ever supposed to get married, then my top was supposed to propose to me. I wasn't supposed to propose to him because technically I'm the woman in this relationship. My top is supposed to pay for the dates and so on. My t- Like all those things that mirror the heteronormative standards or dictate the heteronormative standards became stuff that I were that I was applying to my um to my own relationship or whenever I was dating and so on and so forth. Did that make dating difficult or did you find that most people in the community had already kind of adopted a similar approach so it was easier for you? It was easier because people had kind of um made those assumptions I had already like again bought into those same assumptions. So when I was I mean and then in another sense, right, because of the context within within which I was dating again, like in Jamaica at the time where it you know it's like being seen with an effeminate person in public is is not necessarily the ideal situation or it wasn't at the time in those instances it made it hard but then there were a lot of men that i that that i dated who had already assumed those things and so it was 
kind of it was easy to go along with it. can i just respond to a few things really quickly well thank you for the definition first of all Karim, in terms of what a site is one thing that we should think about as queer men more broadly is how we engage in forms of intimacy outside of of sex because I, i've met people who you know gay men where sex and in, like you know intercourse specifically isn't a feature of their relationship and i think particularly when we have a conversation around how men who bottom are treated in the community and how that ends up being because i think there's this language of disposability or of how you know that person at the bottom or you know whole stretch out or you know them use a product all of these kind of derogatory ways of, of framing premised around uh, sexual intercourse in a, in, a, in a certain kind of way are there ways for us to think about what that looks like outside of sex would be the first thing and then to Glenroy's earlier point, I think it says a lot about the workings of patriarchy in terms of the hierarchies that you were gesturing to, right? So the idea that the verse or someone who's over, who's versed or a feminine top is seen as less than in terms of desirability, like manhood, real topness, is part, is I think a function of patriarchy, similar to how we valorize a particular kind of aesthetic or energy. So the idea of the the DL or the trade or the daddy is held up as being the the hallmarks or the you know most desirable in in a certain um kind of way in the community. And then to Karim's more recent point about being more feminine and assumed to be a bottom, I that was also something that I was thinking about, like the idea that if you skew more towards being feminine, you're automatically a bottom, which isn't the case at all. But also in situations where, you know, you're dating someone older, there might be the assumption or the expectation that you'll be the bottom in that kind of dynamic as well. And so I've sometimes wondered about how people's capacity to explore their sexuality, particularly queer men, might be limited when they're younger because the, the the assumption is that they fall into a certain kind of dynamic that might not be the same if there were more like options available, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I'm glad where you're going with it because I think one of the questions I would have asked um, to kind of Karim and you as well is to what extent do you think or, or have you figured out that maybe, as you said, if there were more options presented in our entry into queer life, quote unquote, where you, um, would you have kind of, would you have still identified yourself in the way that you do now? So because I think what I've noticed for a lot of, well, not a lot, but for a few people is that, you know, when you identify as the bottom, it's because that was the first thing that you did and you kept doing it after. And for some people, they identify as top because that was the first thing they did and, and that's all they did after. And also, if we're going to keep it a buck, a lot of people identify as top because their first bottoming experience was bad because niggas can't fuck. And because niggas can't fuck, they don't know how to take care and be sensitive and understanding because all them do is listen to dance. I tell them to fuck out people all nonstop. And so it kind of affects people's relationship to bottoming. And so they also, that's also a space in which it, it, it forces you into a kind of identity. So, so I'm wondering how those kind of initial experiences impact how we end up identifying. But the second thing I kind of also want to throw in there is that that kind of notion of the intersections of youth and queerness, we can also racialize it as well. Because for me, especially when I was, when I'm here in Jamaica, a black, I, I'm not seen as just a black man like every other black man. I'm seen as a as effeminate black man, and therefore um, I'm assumed to be the bottom. But when I was in London, per the white male gaze, I was black first. So the, the primary interest is you have a big black cock there for you must stop me. Or that's the, the assumption that went around it. So when I was in London, I was more readily perceived as a top 
as opposed to here in Jamaica, where I'm more readily perceived as a bottom. And for somebody who's verse and verse in, a, in the way that there's no preference for me, I work with either, either experience. Uh, and I would, my idea is a relationship where I get to do that. That's not always what plays out. But, you know, it's, it's always interesting for me how that kind of reality shifts and moves because of where I am and um, the different identities that take center stage. I mean, I would also agree with that. I mean, there have been many times where the expectation was that I would be the, the Black Mandingo fantasy, which is not the, the case at all. And yes, it is quite common for uh, white women in particular to assume a certain kind of, or approach you in, in a certain kind of way because they not, is it, not even that like they're looking at you, they're looking at like blackness and like your dick or the fantasy of what they think your, your, your dick looks like. What you were talking about though just made me think about how so many of these rules or expectations make it difficult for us to, I don't want to use, I don't know the word I'm looking for is like explore, but to, and maybe vulnerability is, is part of it because I'm thinking even in terms of race, I mean, this, this, this isn't exclusive to race, but I'm thinking, let's say a black man who is a bottom might be read as a top, but I think there are also ways that we even have assumptions or expectations about who a person is. So for example, if I see an older gentleman who has a particular kind of aesthetic, I might have assumptions about what kind of sexual role that person plays, whereas that person might also be looking for the space or the room to bottom or engage in bottoming for the first time. But like no one is, or very few people are open to like seeing him differently or in a different kind of way because of, you know, assumptions of masculinity and like strength and all of these kinds of things. So I think it's also limiting both ways. I think my, um, in responding to Glenroy's question about, you know, introduction into queer life, um, I don't know if I would change per se. I mean, I can admit that I have at most recently been curious about what the topping experience would be, but I'm not sure if it's something that would, I guess, well, well, now it would, I guess, change my labels, right? Maybe I'll be what, a first bottom if I started, right? Because I guess I grew to like the experience and... I'm fine with that. But it's a wonder if we're not, I guess my question is how would you in my mind, when uh-huh. when somebody, when I when I have that kind of conversation about the process through which we identify ourselves, it makes sense to me if someone says, I've tried it, it's not for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that I get because preferences are preferences, but I feel like how would you know? But then I'm lying, because I've tried it. Yes, I've yes, that's what so ah. I've tried it. Thank you. I've tried it twice and it goes back to what Glenroy was saying. Like, it just wasn't a pleasant experience. Not be- And for me, like, I was able to differentiate, not because I didn't, I didn't like, oh, that's not for me. It was just because of who I was doing it with. And I was just like, yeah, no, maybe somebody else. But yeah, I have tried it, actually. And I know twice for sure. And I was just not, like, pleased at the experience. But not because of, like, I don't think I would not have liked it, but only because I think of who I was doing it with at the time. So I have a bit of a, I've had a strange question and I want to make it very clear that I'm not suggesting that these two things are in any way equal comparisons, but there, there's a way in the language of, well, how do you know if you haven't tried it, but also work against us in terms of someone asking, well, why haven't you slept with a woman? 
Right. You know, like, but, and again, I, I acknowledge the fact that, you know, some people might have had explore, poor experiences or might not have the opportunity to try certain things or that they might be interested in. But like some people also just, for lack of a better word, it might feel right. And so, and they're also okay with that because it's kind of like, well, how do you know you want to enjoy trapping if you haven't tried it? And someone's kind of like, well, how do you know you won't have sex or won't enjoy having sex with a woman if you haven't tried that? And I mean, I think for a lot of queer men, they're kind of like, well, that's not just, that, that's just not something I'm interested in doing. And that can also be okay. Which is a valid point, but I think on the point of kind of differentiating the two, I think um, when we're talking about topping and bottoming, we're talking about sexual acts and we're talking about our relationship with sexual acts and us identifying ourselves on the basis of the sexual acts that we have developed a penchant for versus when we're talking about orientation, we're talking about um, something that didn't require us doing anything for us to kind of understand that this is what we wanted. And so for me, while I can see that argument being made, I think it's fundamentally different because we're talking about a thing that we do and a thing that we don't know about our relationship to it until we've done it. Mm-hmm. And so, because even me, I, I, I consider myself, well, maybe, well, I think I have power bottom energy, but that's something that has developed through my experiences and kind of, the process of my tech charge when I'm, yeah. So similarly, my also have power top potential. <laughs> so equally, I feel like that also comes as a result of my experiences. And also, especially in the latter part, um, that comes because yeah, at a certain point in my life, I made a concerted effort to experience topping more because I recognized that as somebody who was read as feminine, my opportunities for topping were limited. And so the kind of confidence I had in doing it, the kind of relationship I had to it was largely as a result of being limited. And once I had just the equal opportunity, I realized, oh, man, I'm bad at it. You learn more rhythm and you learn more control and you learn how to make sure you save at the moment and how to read a bottom and make sure they're enjoying the experience as well. And so for me, sex is something that is experiential and not something that is purely based on a kind of orientation that you have, regardless of whether or not you do it. So I have a quick question. I'm going to try digging your business, Glenn, right? But I've, so I think, so when I think about, like, again, I guess p- potentially trying topping again, right? I think about the idea of being fetishized as like a femme top, because I noticed that that's a thing as well. I don't know. Well, I know it's a thing here where like there's a certain demographic who want a femme top and I don't get what the, so maybe one of y'all could break it down for me. I don't get what the uh, the, the appeal is behind it. First, and then, for example, I have a friend who does drag, and he gets propositioned all the time at gigs about topping. Like they specifically want him to top, but while he's in drag. And then that, well, they're kind of the same thing. But then I don't know if you've come across that, Glenroy, when like trying to top if you're i don't know been fetishized that has not been my experience and 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 a large part of that could be how my topping experiences end up they're usually grinder gigs so that may be it so even though i will kind of clearly point out let people know who i am where me is my face coming so while people kind of clearly know that i'm a femme person i don't i don't think the topping engagements come with that kind of fetish and and also I don't know that while I'm topping I have a particularly feminine demeanor. 
I mean, if I could just jump in on that too, I think the, because I've also heard of uh, drag queens being propositioned, and I think part of that has to do with like the fantasy, because I think particularly the drag queens, there's a, there's a, like an element of like celebrity in there. And so this is the idea of like having sex with a drag queen might be part of it. I mean, I, so I mean, but that's something that we can maybe look into a little bit more about. The, the point about the femtop is based on the conversations I've seen on Twitter, a lot of it has to do with this belief that quote-unquote, the manly tops are um, just concerned about busting a nut and that they don't care about the person who is bottoming for them. And so the femme top, either through, because of, you know, their kind of like gendered identity or perhaps their experience with bottoming is more attentive to the person that they're having sex with and so is able to give more pleasure um, to the person who is bottoming was the kind of gist that I got online. Well... I hear that about versatile people, and that is true. Versatile people are better tops because they understand the exigencies of bottoming. They understand that when you see somebody curl up certain way, that you might need to shift around, and they understand how curvature and positioning will work, right? And so big up to all of the verse people I'm out there because I always prefer you versus somebody who's a straight, who's strictly top because to me, and it's not just me, I feel like so them and them can them understand and them know. Cause some of them man women really understand and know and pay attention. Although and I've had a good I have I've had some persons who identify as exclusively as top who can do them things. So there's that so experience teacher to wisdom. But generally I share that view as well because you know it's different. <laughs> Many that top for come running by a strict top to come running by that conversation here. But- I have a question. So Lenroy was talking quite a bit about power a few minutes ago, and I was curious how you understood power in your sexual relationships. Say more about power. Oh, so I, okay. So I guess the, the assumption is that the top is usually the one who's quote unquote in charge or in control. Not Um, only but I'm just, I'm just like, let me finish. But then (laughs) when we come to a situation like, you know, power bottoms, our position as being either pushing back against the masculine, the, the kind of a power of the top or taking over in terms of the power dynamic. Because I think there's a way that like, bottoming is always por- tends to be portrayed as like being submissive in a particular kind of way. And I find, at least in my mind, under the right circumstances, I feel like the bottom is the one who's actually in charge in terms of dictating, you know, what happens and how it happens. Because I think... So I guess and maybe how I'm thinking about power is a little bit different because I think the the pop is assumed the, t- the top is assumed to be the one in or the one who has power because of you know notions of force. Whereas I'm thinking about power in terms of well, who's actually making the rules of engagement, and I would assume that would be the bottom. Mama, ask her a question before me answer this. You ever yes. quit a man yet? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever done your kegels? Kegels. I'm from a girl. You ever quit a man yet? You tell me for quick, but not quick my eye. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, girl, no <laughs> name queens. You never grip. You never <laughs> grip it to the inside. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't hear you. Girl, stop. I'm from a quick You ever quit a man yet? You know one thing. 
You in control. Listen to me. In a girl sit down there, I make I am not saying there aren't tops who when they have control can't give you a good time. Yes, there are tops and verse people and, and, and men who are verse are people men who while topping can do that. But me and I left it up, my pleasure up to no man when me is but when me is battering me. Sorry, let me tell you this because some of them, them just want scripts, scripts you out and come and done. I ain't getting none outside. You don't know that. This is my house to my good. First of all, I have to control all you enter into me. But car, you're not gonna mash me up and tear me up because you're excited. I have a fool or inexperienced. So, me, I have to in charge of that part there. Right? Then now, I have to actively be a part of the positioning. Yes, you want me to arch up my back, but not every, not every time you must arch up your back because then it goes turn up in your side also. So all them something there, me heavily invested in making sure it look properly. I'm going to feel like, say, bottoms, as you rightly say, are in control of the experience. Yeah, the top can't sit here and put it down, but at the end of the day, you have to give them that power. All right. I'm just like thinking about like my previous relationships and my current one i think the dynamic like that power dynamic changes and it more so changes on my end where i recognize you know i don't have to just lay here and take it like i can actually actively participate like lenroy says like i've realized that over the course of my relationships like I, like for example in the earlier years whatever the tops of for just do it until game until the game done but now I'm like, yeah, no. And now I'm actually like with my husband. I think we share the power dynamic in a sense that, and I guess it depends on the mood. The she wolf might come out. I mean, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think, no, for, the, the power dynamic has changed over the years. And it comes with that awareness of, for me at least, I don't have to just lay here and take this. Like this. I can actually do something. And like you said, that whole thrusting motion that they do, that's just, that's not the end all be all. And so if you want to flip and go and tap our, just like my, my sister said, queen and control like the rhythm and the so on and shift my body such that I'm feeling a certain pressure here or there or whatever, then like I've, I'm, I'm actually very invested in that now. And if I'm not feeling like I'm being pleased, like I will. But also it. it gives more pleasure to the person topping when the person who is bottoming is kind of actively involved as well. You have to be careful, okay? you know, when I come too early, can you do the most on top of them, okay? you know? <laughs> I like to tell you, if you come, my no business when you want to come, my business, I just, I just know I feel good. I say, yeah, I mean, do that. Yeah, I mean, extract that outside you. Yeah, claim your prize. No believe in that. Yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, it's more pleasure to that person when you're actively involved as well. So, I think when we talk about power dynamics in the bedroom, we have to know what pleases us to make sure that we are pleased. And in ensuring that we are pleased, we're also pleasing them because it's about pleasure at the end of the day. And if Mino say, me can sit right and feel good, me can actively participate and I give, and I give the best part of your life. I want to shift gears, but I don't, I don't know if Carnell or Karim has anything else to add on this last part. No, said no matter what room Glenn playing, she's clearly a bedroom bully <laughs> I was just gonna I mean I'm also I don't know which direction you were going in Glenroy but I was gonna ask because uh, you said something about the, the things that um, bottoms have to do with the expectations and so I was wondering if you could have a bit of a conversation about the work that both parties have to do when it comes to performing a certain role in the bedroom what direction well, are you headed I, in? I shut up huh? Well, no, before we even get to that, I'm actually going to talk about the expectations from the perspective of a top. Because for me, that has, that, that the psyche that, it, that is out there or the expectation is a big part of why I, for a long time, felt that I wasn't good at it. But 
what I recognized is that if you let go of the kind of the hyper-masculine expectations, you're going to tear up every time, you're going to tear up somebody every time you have sex with them, which is just not a realistic expectation, then you kind of start to be better at it. So if you kind of understand, oh, I'm going to go on meeting once and then somebody did say, if you know your stroke number, I don't know my stroke number, you know, but I know I get close to it. So when you know your stroke number, you know how to manage when you're going to come. So the stroke number is it's knowing how many strokes it takes for you to come. So while you're carrying, you count one, two, three. <laughs> well, all, right, my, all right, my number 45, 44. Right, but I feel up. like, so, but I feel, no, but I'm not pull out, you pull out frame. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, so it's kind of managing your tempo and your speed and all of that. So you can know say, all right, you want it, whether you want to speed it up or drag it out, it's just being more aware of that so you know just come i don't know what happened so you can actively so kind of learning how to do that was a big part of the experience because then there are bottoms who kind of have this expectation say oh you're supposed to be long distance still and if you're not do that then you're not do nothing and so that's a lot to worry about today also kind of concerned about not tearing the person that you're entering you don't want any damage to them you know so you can so you're you're also always paying attention to what you're doing and and, and you need them for kind of give feedback so your your confidence is managed through all of that i mean even though the top just shows up they must show up in the right kind of mindset to make sure that the experience is good for everybody because if the top don't perform the sex not happen Whereas at the end of the day, the bottom is necessary in terms of the bottom is, uh, is an active participant in the sex. At the end of the day, all of them are spread out if they're lazy and everybody can still get what they're supposed to get. In the context of the top, if you're coming, you know, stand up and perform, then everybody's time with. And I think the knowledge of that, that can be very stressful, can be very, can, can have, make you have anxiety and make you worried when you're supposed to be having pleasure. Yeah, there is a certain kind of pressure for tops in terms of being able to engage in a certain way. I'm, I'm assuming there might also be some sense of anxiety. Well, I mean, maybe not everyone has to deal with this, but I'm assuming there might be concerns around the size of the tool as well, since some people are size queens and are very concerned about certain things. And so if you are at a certain length or below, then it becomes like, well, you, you can't talk to me kind of thing. But yeah, I, I, I agree. There are things um, that tops have to consider that might not, might not be apparent to the rest of us in terms of the <laughs> active engagement. But for bottoms, yeah, it's about douching. Not just that, though. Everybody knows that I was douching. Imagine, you have somebody go fuck, and you know, say you can't eat certain things. You know, you know, show you want food your belly too soon to the time when you have sex. You don't know why my pop off. You know, why when you get where you're supposed to get if it's from a shit in your belly. Good ride. Girl, it's enough girl out there for a hungry stomach and it's shame. <laughs> Because what you can do, you know what, go eat the meal where you know you're supposed to eat, and then perhaps you have an accident, and then there, there are many tops out there that aren't sensitive to the reality that even that even up, even somebody who douches thoroughly can still have an accident. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of pressure on that. But then there's also the kind of pressure on because then you have to you, you can't you know it's not just cleaning the inside, it's the presentation on the outside. Are you gonna shave? And shaving your ass is not an easy thing. Mm-mm. It is not. That's why I'm glad to look at sugar. It really is. But yeah, so like all of those kinds of things about making sure 
it, it, it look right, it smell right, it tastes right. Making sure, also, because I'm going to say, everybody assumes that all buttons know how to technique, and that's something where you get through practice, and know how to ride. Also, not, oh, let me, let me stop on this. Listen to me, listen to me good. All the tops out there listening, I am not a size queen, right? And nor do I believe in the kind of sizing, because it's not the size of the boat, it's the motion of the ocean. I fully believe that. However, if you know you're below a certain length, don't stress out no girl for your bunk span top of you. Because the reality is you need to have a certain length for girl bunk top of you. Oh my God. That's all me I got to say. Right? If you know you're like, the way it's supposed to be, you know, they're at eight and nine, you stress out the girl. Because as she go up, it fly out and I stress that. And no girl can't, no, no one with no bag of bunks, 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 and every minute she has to set it back. No. So understand all the packages and work it, work with it. Okay? That is my word on that. But yeah, I don't know something there. Girl for no override. Girl for no office for sinking them back. When them in at the back, everybody thinks say, it is easy for sinking their back. It's not something where you just, you just, you just know, you just get up doing so, right? And so there are all these things about how you present yourself as a button that tops don't necessarily have to worry about that presentation. They more about a different set of things. All right, but don't read the sermon now. Glenroy delivered a whole word. A whole sermon. We should definitely go live. You know what? I feel like they, they, you should develop a module for a sex ed class. I think the young folks should be ever so grateful. Oh gosh, that's so nice. Oh gosh. I deliver it just right, same way. No, no pretty no. up nothing. Did you answer your question? Come into, um, yes, I yes, you, you absolutely did. <laughs> you absolutely did. So, um, I guess the last thing that I cannot, I want us to kind of think through though, is are these labels necessary outside of the context of our sexual activity? Like, the kind of ways that we think. Tops not supposed to act a certain way and bottoms not supposed to act a certain way. Those kinds of things. No, I mean, I tried to gesture to this earlier, but like, in the way that we're talking about things suggests it's not just about like the sexual activity. So note that we've been, and I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want this to necessarily be a nitpicking over word usage or whatever, but note that we aren't just talking about bottoming as... Um, or topping as like activities we've used words like top and bottom as nouns to indicate like for lack of a better word like a state of of being so i do think it extends beyond the bedroom and even in in the whole interaction of courtship or flirting or whatever we do look for things like bottom energy or top energy as a way of kind of like parsing out who is or is not a potential i don't know mate for sex so i mean yeah even to get to the point of having sex even we're using some of these codes to understand people's identities i have a question though would you or have you had sex with a feminine slash a masculine a feminine top. Mm. Mm, I don't think. So. Wait, I guess it depends on the degrees of femininity. I guess the the short answer would probably um, be no. I did go out on a date once though with a feminine top. So yeah. Did this femininity affect the consequence of the date? <laughs> no, it didn't work out for other reasons, but. Um, which we don't have to get into, but I mean, and, and I mean, I guess for the sake of full disclosure, um, I guess, and this might help with you trying to figure out the answer. I typically am more attracted to, I don't know. A masculine energy. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kareem. <laughs> yeah. You're a delicate floor. You want a nice little chapped man to come shake you up. 
And, and of course, Karim is a big man, so she needs a big man in her life. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I've been, like, I've actually, like, I guess, in challenging my own assumptions or biases, I've actually, like, thought about what that would look like or what that dynamic would look like. And it's something that, if given the opportunity, then sure... I would. But again, like Cornell, I am very attracted to masculine energy. And I've even found myself attracted to like very masculine presenting women. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, oh, okay. Like I've seen a few masculine presenting women. I was like, oh. Yeah, some of them tried it. Right. I was like, you could get it. Like for real. Some of them can absolutely get it. Wait a minute. Peg me till Um, the moon comes up. I'm like, shoot, if you know how to put some ocean in this, some some motion in this ocean, then baby, let's let's get it on. Um <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but I, I I have like in challenging like my own assumptions, being like, okay, I would actually see. I mean, I, and then I'm also, and I guess I'm just projecting because in my mind, I'm just like they would perhaps make better the same argument that goes with like the verse, the people who are verse, right? That they would make better lovers because they understand certain things and certain intricacies and blah, 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 that are lost, that I think are lost on some people who are like top, like strictly top. So yeah, that's my long answer. Yeah, I guess I would, given the opportunity, I would. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know if my, and I don't know if this, this is me trying to explain away my, my interest, but I think for me, I more look for a certain sense of stability, which to me might read a certain way in terms of someone who's more masculine and i mean i i think part of this has been because of like the kind of options that are available to me at um, a, a particular time but i usually i'm usually interested or I usually date i guess guys who are older who also tend to be more or read as being more masculine in a certain kind of way so it's not i, I don't consciously be like well i'm not going to be dating a someone who's more femme but um who knows hyper-masculine children hyper-masculine men stifle me can't deal with them but me personally so i mean of course it doesn't matter it doesn't matter to me the gender expression of the top or bottom that i'm that i'm with in a romantic sense but i generally go for and it's another demon girl spirit in my mind it's a mad girl <laughs> i generally go for people who are more reserved so whether they're top verse or bottom i generally go for people who are more reserved and i think that kind of because i think that complements my energy well mm-hmm. uh, like two bull carol the one pin and up to him <laughs> or if you deserve it you can't be you can, oh, let me not say it like that if you deserve it you can win <laughs> I wonder what you're about to say don't worry about what me about to say worry about what you never say girl <laughs> <laughs> and I <I'll... laughs> but anywho are there any final thoughts on this kind of topic about the identity that we've created around these sex roles and how a possible way forward of thinking about them or a better more progressive way of thinking about them I like the word, the fact that you use the word more progressive because I've just been, I've just been thinking about how we approach them. And like in an ideal sense, I really don't think that they should dictate how we interact with each other outside of the bedroom because, and I feel like it just leads to further discrimination and just justifies like a lot of the, 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 the things that people use to negate us as humans and our experiences. Because I I could hear people being, oh, see, you just want to be a woman, like w- Wendy Williams. But yeah, I mean, I feel like if we could start to 
go beyond those like you know they serve a purpose and acknowledge the purpose that they serve they define certain roles in the bedroom and then outside of that if we could learn new ways to talk about ourselves and our experiences and our and our being then i don't know i feel like that would be helpful but again that's in an ideal sense yeah i don't know if i'm so much concerned about the labels because i think for some people they can be quite useful and affirming whether or not they are in the bedroom or not so like i know people who are very proud of their bottom status and they celebrate it and they're in and it means something special to them my bigger concern has to do with how we assign value to these different activities or positions or identities and to go back to something i said earlier so much of this goes back to and i, I mean i don't want to make it like unnecessarily academic if we even consider consider this academic but like so much of this is based on the influence of patriarchal values so if there wasn't the underlying distaste or hatred of the that which is considered feminine we wouldn't have concerns or be as you know so wrapped up around maintaining a certain definition of masculinity or portraying um, people who bottom in a certain kind of way right like it goes back to valuing less that which is what is feminine and i think that is something that we would need to address as part of any kind of like progressive change. I think it's just about kind of us diversifying how we think about them. So for me, generally, I don't talk about, I, I say person who tops and person who bottoms, and I've tried to kind of reinforce myself to kind of use that kind of language because I don't, I think these are praxis. And because they're praxis, we should stray away from cultivating identities out of them because of the potential to kind of when you create these kinds of identities, you then kind of create boxes that people have to fit into and stereotypes around them and then limit people and then kind of limit experiences. So for me, it's just about recognizing the context and saying, yes, we use it for this purpose and, and that is that. But it does not have to align with, hetero, with, with, with heteronormativity and it does not have to align with patriarchy, as you say. And, you know, lots of possibilities exist outside of that framework. Like, people out there, they search for the magic top and the magic bottom and they deny themselves all sort of possible experiences because I, it don't make no sense. And also, the, I, I don't think we're reaching across these identity statuses enough. So there's not enough conversation between tops and bottoms about the differences in experiences and all of that. So I think because we exist in a same-sex context, we have... The, we don't have to construct walls around these very heterosexist identities oftentimes and kind of shut each other out. So that's my kind of concern and about the identities and how they work and my hope that we can just move beyond them and don't make these fixed things that, oh, we all have to behave this kind of way because we're X, Y, or Z. All right. Well, this has certainly been an illuminating conversation. Once, as per usual, we will see y'all again next week, same time. Please do reach out to us over Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Fishty Podcast or at Fishty Podcast at Gmail. What is it? Fishty Podcast at Gmail.com. Oh, I don't know why I just forgot that. In any case, <laughs> um, have a good week, y'all, and we will see you again next Friday. Bye.